Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Hi guys, uh, it is fantastic to be with you again, and I hope you have all had a good Easter, whether you've had a couple of days off or whether you had a week or more. Uh, in the case of students, I hope you've had a good time. Uh, I, I I was quite blessed to get over a week off, so that gave me plenty of time for one of my favourite hobbies, which is reading. And I've been reading the Jack Reacher books. Any, anyone else read any of the Jack Reacher books? I'm imagining maybe it's going to be a few of the lads. Okay, now, if you haven't heard of who Jack Reacher is, he is kind of a cross between Rambo and the A-Team. So, like Rambo, he is this ex-super soldier, the best of the best. Absolutely one of the toughest guys you're going to meet. No, no, Rich, not. Never mind. Uh, And he also is a little bit like the A-Team, because he always turns up uh, where there's trouble or there's crime. And he's one of those guys who just so happened to get involved and uh, saw everything out. Now, the books are quite good fun. Uh, there's lots of action in them. But truth be told, they're not all that uh, filled with suspense. Because you always know that no matter how tough the bad guys are, no matter uh, how many odds are against him, that Jack Reacher is always going to win. You always know, you kind of have like a total confidence that Reacher is going to do it. Now, that's probably a failing in a series of books, but in it got me thinking, wouldn't it be great if you and I had that kind of confidence in God? Wouldn't it be great if you and I had a total confidence that no matter what the situation is, that actually God is bigger, more powerful, and in control? Because I don't know about you, but when I think of life, I think that life is difficult, it's messy, and it's uncertain. And I'm sure if you just pause and think about your own life for a moment, and the lives of those around you, you'll recognise that, that actually life is busy, hard, difficult, messy, uncertain. And I think that if you and I had a total confidence in God, it would totally transform how we see those situations. It would totally transform how you and I would interact with them. If we had a total confidence in God, then we would engage with the people and the situations in a very different way. So what I'd like to do today to start with is kind of think a little bit about what it looks like when we don't have a total confidence in God. Because having a total confidence in God is not like kind of like getting a sunroof in your car. It's not like one of those optional extras. I guess you could say it's a little bit more like healthy eating, okay? You either eat healthily or you don't eat healthily. Paula, where is, I know, is she about Paula? Yeah, yeah, don't say anything this time about me using healthy uh, things as an analogy. But when you... Uh, eat, you've got to either eat healthily or not. You know, there's not a choice of what you do. Like, you've still got to eat. And in a little bit of the same kind of way, we either show total confidence in God or 
we display negative behaviours. It's not that kind of optional extra that we're going to do. And I want us to kind of think about what they are and the consequences of them. Because whereas with maybe a bit of junk food, it doesn't actually do that much damage to us. Whenever we don't have a total confidence in God, it affects us. So I want to start by thinking of three ways that you and I actually display wrong kind of uh, emotions or viewpoints rather than having total confidence in God. And I'm using another literary classic, not Jack Reacher, but Winnie the Pooh. Now, there are three responses, and the first of which I reckon is a bit like Piglet. Now, Piglet, in case you don't know um, Winnie the Pooh, hard to believe, but there might be someone. Piglet is a worrier, okay? He's really nervous. He's always worrying that things are going to go wrong. And in the same kind of way, you and I, when we're faced with those difficult or messy or uncertain situations, we can start to worry. We can start to worry about the situation. We can start to worry about what the consequences of them are going to be. And actually, that's not great. That's just going to actually add to our stress levels and isn't going to make anything better. In fact, it's going to be a bit damaging. So the first thing we can do, rather than have total confidence in God, is to worry a bit like Piglet. Secondly, we can be a bit like Eeyore. Again, if you're not too familiar with it, uh, Eeyore is a donkey, and he's always miserable. He always looks on the negative side of things. And in the same way, when you and I face difficult or tough or uncertain situations, we can be a bit like Eeyore and just look on things so, so negatively. And that means that we do two things wrong. Firstly, it means that we're not expectant that God can or will do anything about the situation. And secondly, it means that actually we're not going to pray to God to change the situation or give us opportunity to engage with it. A bit like Eeyore, we can have that kind of like negative view where we just kind of withdraw from the world and its problems. Thirdly, the third way that you and I can kind of uh, display negative responses instead of having total confidence in God is to be a bit like rabbit and try controlling the situation. Uh, for your information, rabbit probably my favourite character in Winnie the Pooh, and it always comes up with these amazing plans, really complicated plans, to sort the problems of the Hundred Acre Woods. The only problem is that actually uh, a rabbit spends a lot of energy doing so and they generally don't work. And it can be pretty much like that for us too. When faced with the uncertainty, the difficulties in life, well, we just maybe do a bit of a rabbit. We just go totally into kind of control freak overdrive. We try controlling the situation. We work all the harder. We plot and plan for every eventuality. And truth be told, guys, it doesn't really work. All it does is leave us being burnt out. So those are three responses that you and I will have if we don't have total confidence in God. We'll either worry, withdraw, or try to control situations. And my prayer for tonight is that as you and I look at Nehemiah, that we actually kind of get a fresh vision for God's power and control. And as we do that, we'll have a total confidence in God.
And as we get that total confidence in God, rather than worry, withdraw or control situations, we'll step forward in faith and engage with the situations and the people in a totally new way because we've got a total confidence in God. So let's have a look then at Nehemiah chapter 2. If you've got a Bible with you, um, this may be a great time to keep it open. Now, it's really important that we remember that chapter 2 comes after chapter 1. Now, I know that sounds pretty simple, but actually chapter 1 gives us kind of like the context for the situation that we see. And in chapter 1, we read of Nehemiah, along with most of the other Israelites, they're in captivity or exile in Persia. The Persian Empire has conquered Israel, and Nehemiah has been taken there. And Nehemiah hears a report from the remnant who are still left in Israel that Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, has been destroyed. The walls and the gates are no more. They've been destroyed. And Nehemiah is gutted about this. Because, you see, the city is meant to represent God. And so if the city is doing badly, that kind of reflects on God and makes God look bad. I guess you could say it's a little bit like imagining if you've got a really great dad who you really, really love, and you want to tell everyone about how great he is. And your dad creates this charity which he's really passionate about, and it shows his kind-hearted nature. The only problem is this, this charity, it, it's not doing so well. In fact, it's in administration. And it turns out that actually the, the employees, they've been fiddling their expenses. Not only have they fiddled their expenses, they've been doing all sorts of unethical working practices. And you're gutted because the charity is not showing the kind of dad that your dad is. You'd be heartbroken because it's not showing that your dad is a really great guy. And it's a little bit like that for Nehemiah. He's gutted because the destruction of Jerusalem is not showing how great God is. And his response is to pray to God. His response is to confess to God that the destruction of Jerusalem is the consequence of his and all the other Israelites' rebellion against God. It's a consequence of their sin, their rejection of God. And he prays, God, please give me an opportunity to be able to solve this situation. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Nehemiah, I love this book because he's a great example of who the kind of people that you and I should be. And he's a great example because he's so persistent in prayer. Nehemiah 1, it tells us that he prayed that prayer for some days. So that means he's praying it over and over again. Now, chapter 2, the opportunity, doesn't start until the month of Nisan. So that's four months later. So that suggests that Nehemiah had been praying this prayer persistently for the past four months. And I think that's a great example for you and I to persist in prayer when we don't first see a response. But he does get the response eventually in chapter 2. As I said, four months later, and it's at a feast 
for a guy called King Artaxerxes. We're going to call him Arty from now on. Now, Arty is the king of the Persian Empire. And he is at this party, and Nehemiah is his cupbearer. That means he served the king wine, and he tested the wine for poison. And so, they've, consequently, they're in close proximity quite a bit. Artaxerxes, he notices that Nehemiah is sad about something. And he asks him what's wrong. And that leads into the conversation which takes up the passage that you and I are studying and looking at today. Now, (coughs) in some ways, this is pretty simple conversation. Nehemiah um, is asked what's wrong. Uh, Nehemiah tells him. Uh, Artie then asks, well, what can I do to help? And Nehemiah tells him again. He gives him a list of requests and Artie grants them. It's a simple conversation. But what I want us to do is see three things in it that actually transform the conversation from being quite a simple one to giving us total confidence in God. So three things which make this conversation or help us to see that we should have total confidence in God. (coughs) First thing, the inequality in terms of the two people having this conversation. I don't know about you, when was the last time you had a conversation with someone and you totally were not their equal? Uh, For me, um, the last time this happened to me was with my brother-in-law who um, has a PhD in Revelation 1. And I kind of think, you know, I, I know my Bible a wee bit, but then I had a chat with him about Revelation and boy, I knew I was out of my league. And I wonder, when was the last time you guys had a conversation with someone and it wasn't between equals. Because that's the case in this situation here. Artie and Nehemiah are not equals. Let's take Artie. He is king of the Persian Empire. Now, the Persian Empire had conquered country after country after country. And all of that empire's resources, all of the soldiers who conquered this land, well, they're all under Artie's disposal. Not only that, his word is law. This guy has got power, he's got influence, he's got resources. You don't want to mess with him. Nehemiah, not quite in the same league. He's not even Artie's countryman, like a fellow Persian. But instead, he's an exile from a defeated, troublesome nation. Not only that, he doesn't really have much influence. The fact that he's his cupbearer, He's Artie's cupbearer. Well, that kind of shows that actually he's not that important. Because if you're tasting a wine for poison, it kind of shows that you're not, it's not too crucial whether you live or die. So Nehemiah is a little bit expendable. So that means that there's this real inequality in the two as they are having this discussion. And that means that really for Nehemiah, he's got no influence or power to kind of sway Artie to his cause. he kind of got no leverage to get Artie to agree with what he wants. And I wanted to notice that actually the inequality makes that whatever Nehemiah asked for, well, it's very unlikely that he'll get it. The second thing um, I want you to notice is that this is a dangerous conversation. <coughs> now again, I... 
I don't really have much danger in my life. And I wonder, when was the last time for you that you actually were in a dangerous situation? Because when we look at the conversation in more detail, we can see that actually there's a lot of danger. Partly because of that inequality. You know, um, Nehemiah, he's got uh, he's no one, whereas uh, Arti, he's this powerful ruler of the Persian Empire. And so if Nehemiah displeases Arti, Arti could have him killed. And, and Nehemiah doesn't really have anything to protect him from Arti's wrath. So if he does displease uh, Arti, it could go very badly for him. And there are loads of reasons in this passage why it's quite a dangerous conversation to have. Firstly, it's at a party, and Nehemiah looks miserable. Miserable, sad enough to be sick. And so the first thing, the first danger, is that actually Artie could uh, act for Nehemiah to be executed just for looking sad at the party. I mean, I'm sure you and I have all hosted parties before at one time or another. And the last thing you want, isn't it, is someone looking really miserable in the corner. Well, Artie has the power to do something about it. And he could actually punish Nehemiah for looking sad. But he doesn't. Instead, he asks him, what's the matter? And it's at this point it goes from dangerous to uber dangerous. Because as uh, Nehemiah gives his request, well, it could be seen as a bit of rebellion. Because what he's asking for is for the walls and the gates of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Now, if a city has walls and if a city has gates, it's able to withstand a siege, that is, people attacking it. And that might be seen as a, a sign or a precursor to Israel rebelling against the Persian Empire. In fact, that may be a distinct possibility of how Artie will interpret it, because this kind of issue has cropped up before. In the book of Ezra, which is the book previously, Artie gets pretty annoyed with the Israelites for rebuilding the temple. And he even, in Ezra 4, verse 21, commands them to temporarily stop building the temple because he's a bit scared that actually this is a sign that they're going to rebel against the Persian Empire. So the danger is that in this request... Artie's going to see it as a sign of rebellion. And that means that if he does see it and does interpret it that way, then not only is he going to punish Nehemiah, but likely the rest of the Israelites as well. So you've got the danger from being miserable, the danger from this kind of potential for rebellion, and then there's the danger for the excessiveness of the request. You see, Nehemiah doesn't just say to Artie, oh, can I go back and uh, supervise the building of uh, the, the walls and the gates? But also, will you get me there safely? And will you also, will you also provide the materials for me to create, to, to build these walls and uh, to the gates? It's a pretty big request. In fact, it's a pretty extravagant request. And the, ne the, the next reason it's dangerous is that Artie could just get so angry by the, the, the extravagance of what Nehemiah is asking for. 
I guess it's a little like if you're a teacher. Now, for some of you, that's not too hard for you to imagine. But I want you to all imagine you're a teacher right now. And one of your students come up to you and says, oh, I'd like uh, a bit of time off to go see a football match at Wembley. And you're not too sure because it's in school time. They should be in school and you kind of would benefit from them being in school. And actually, you've heard a few things about these football fans. They can get into a bit of bother. But you see how much it means to them. So you say, OK, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you the time off. And then the, the, the kid turns around to you and says, oh, that's fantastic. Whilst you're at it, can you book my travel to get me down to London to watch the game? Oh, and actually, can you pay for, my, for it all? My ticket, uh, the, the accommodation, the transport, the lot. Now, I imagine at that point, they're going to get very short shrift. They'll be like, no way. You, you've been far too extravagant. So the final reason it's dangerous is by just how much Nehemiah asked for. But, you know, Artie doesn't get angry. And in fact, Rather than get angry, he grants it. And then we read the third thing, which I wanted to notice from this conversation. We read the reason why, that despite this being a conversation between unequals, despite it being a conversation filled with danger, despite there being such an extravagant request, why it is all granted. And that is found in verse 8, because in verse 8 we see who's really in control. Let, let, let's look at it together. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now that is kind of one of those sentences that totally transform how we see the conversation. The reason all this was granted was because God is in control. I don't know about you, but what was the last thing that actually, um, yeah, you, 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 it was revealed to you and you totally changed your view on everything that had come before. Uh, for me, it was Breaking Bad. Now, we've recently finished Breaking Bad, me and my wife, and uh, I have to say, for me, it's one of the best pieces of TV ever made. It's fantastic. If you've not watched it before, uh, it's about a guy called Walter White, who's a chemistry teacher, a genius chemistry teacher, and he's got cancer. And he decides, so he can provide for his family after he um, has died, he starts to produce crystal meth. He teams up with one of his ex-students, a guy called Jesse, and a pair of them produce and sell crystal meth. Now, my favourite bit of the story is the end of season four. And yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm spoiling it a bit for you. But hey, you know, it's been out quite a while, so, you know, you perhaps should have got to it before now. But... <laughs> The end of season four. By season four, what's happened is you've got Jesse and you've got uh, Walter. And they're working for this guy called Gustavo, who is a drug baron, a ruthless drug baron. The relationship is strained. I'm really sorry, Hobbses. Uh, the relationship is really strained. And in fact, Gustavo trying to split up the partnership between uh, Jesse and Walter. And he even goes, it seems, to the length of framing Walter for poisoning a friend of Jesse's. And then what happens is, in the last episode of the, the season, is that Walter manages to convince, um, convince Jesse that actually Gustavo framing him 
and they managed to sort out the situation and get rid of Gus. But then the very last shot of scene four, you see Walter sitting next to this plant. And then you realise that is the plant which poisoned Jesse's friend. And in that moment, Walter goes from being some hard-done-to, put-upon good guy, to some cold-blooded, manipulating villain. Walter becomes the guy who'd been pulling all the strings. You look back at all that's happened in, in this season four, and you see, actually... Walter was in control. He was the one who was pulling all the strings. He was the one who was manipulating the situation. It totally changes how you view everything that's gone before. And it's a little bit like that with verse 8. How we see the conversation is totally, totally different. We realise that actually it's not King Artie with all of his power and wealth and resources, who's in control. It's God. Artie might be the king, but God is the one who is in control. How come a guy with no influence or power manages to get through such a sensitive topic and make such an extravagant request? Because God is in control. It's God's hand on the conversation. It's because God in his power is working through the situation that Nehemiah gets permission to go and rebuild the walls and gates of Jerusalem. We see the real power is that God is in control. We totally change our perspective on the conversation we've read. But you know what, guys? It's not just meant to change our perspective on this conversation. It's to help change our perspective on all of life. Remember all of those difficult, hard, uncertain, complex situations we thought of right at the start of the preach? Well, we're meant to view those with the perspective too, that God is totally and utterly in control. The challenge is for you and me to have a new perspective where we trust that God is in control the challenge is to trust that God is in control. And as we do that, that gives us a total confidence. Makes sense, doesn't it? If God is all-powerful and in control, then we can have total confidence in him. Now, that has several implications. Firstly, rather than withdrawing or worrying or trying to control those situations ourselves, we can actually engage with them and prayerfully pray that God intervenes and acts in those situations. And so I want you to think for a moment, what is the situation for you that you most need to change your perspective on? What's the situation for you where you most need that kind of adjustment in how you view things? Where you need to have total confidence in God and recognise he's in control? I want you to prayerfully consider that for a moment. And as we do, I'll share a couple of possibilities. By no means an exhaustive list. And maybe, maybe it's worked. Perhaps you're in a really, uh, really busy or really negative environment. And in that, you just struggle to think, how on earth am I going to impact in that situation? How on earth am I meant to try being a witness either in what I say or do? In that situation, it's just too negative for me to do so. 
And, you know, I've been in situations like that, from call centres to staff rooms. It, it can feel like that. And the challenge is to have total confidence in God and recognise that actually he's in control of that workplace. Or maybe, maybe it's the case that there is just so, so much work, that work is like uber busy, that there's always more work to be done. It, it, there's always more work that you could be doing. And I wonder, like in those situations, the challenge is to recognise that it's God, not work in control. Maybe that means that actually you take rest, that you rest well, that you don't cut corners in your work, because it is God, not work, which is calling the shots. Maybe you need to have total confidence that God, not work, is in control. Maybe maybe it's a ministry situation. Maybe it's a really complex pastoral issue you're dealing with, and you're not really too sure of what the answers are. And again, in those situations, it's just so easy to to start to worry or withdraw or try to control it. The challenge again is to have total confidence in God. Or perhaps it's a lack of confidence for resources for ministry. Maybe there's a, a ministry which is a really great work and you feel totally called to it and you can see there's so much potential. But maybe there's a lack of money or or people, or time, and that's just holding you back from doing it. You know, this is the one which is really most challenging for me right now. Uh, with our mission group, Share, we aim to reach international students through sharing life in Jesus. And to be honest, we're reaching internationals, and we're getting to know them a bit. But we lack the Christian to really follow them up well. And it's really easy for me and the few who are doing it to just really try to control that situation and burn ourselves out trying to reach them all. Or for me to just spend time worrying about not having the resources. Whereas the challenge is actually to trust that God is in control, to have total confidence that he can provide the resources. Those are a few examples. I'm sure there's a load more. Finances, future maybe relationships. I wonder, what is it for you? Where do you need to change your perspective and have total confidence in God? Finally, to close, maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. I want to just finish by asking you two questions. Firstly, what's in control of your life? You might say, oh, nothing is in control, but actually there's always something controlling our life. We're all controlled by something. You'll recognise it because it's the thing that dictates your diary. It's a thing that you always kind of schedule everything else around. That's the priority. It's the thing where you get your self-worth from. So when it's going well, you feel great. When it's not going well, you feel really bad. And then when you've worked out what is controlling you, I want to ask you a question. How's it going? What's it like having that thing in control? Because if we're being really, really honest, it probably pretty draining. You see, all of those things that we let control us, well, actually, they, they're just so demanding. They always demand more. If it's a relationship, it needs constant investment. If it's our image, well, that always needs maintaining. If it's work, there's always a bit more work to be done. So I want you to be honest with yourself and, and answer, how's that going for you? How are you doing with that thing being in control? You know, for me, it was uh, academic success. 
uh, getting good grades in GCSEs and A-levels, getting onto a good business course, doing well at that. And part of me becoming a Christian was all about recognising that this was controlling me and recognising that actually it wasn't very satisfying and it was really draining. And part of me becoming a Christian was actually doing that transfer, transferring control from that to God. Because the truth is that you and I are not made for relationship. We're not made to be controlled by man-made things. We're not made to be controlled by man-made things, but actually to have a relationship with God where he's number one in our life and in the freedom under his control to live in the fullness of life. We're meant to live a life with God as number one, not letting man-made things call the shots. And the challenge for you tonight is to make that change. To ask God into your life, trust him as number one. Shift from other things being in control to having God at number one. Because the amazing truth of this passage is that God is in control and we can have total confidence in him. That's the truth and that's the challenge. Let's pray together. If I could invite the band back up and we'll pray together. Oh Lord God, I thank you that you are in control. Thank you that you are all powerful and I really do pray that you would help each and every one of us have fresh eyes, fresh perspective, that you are in control, that you are who we need to have total confidence in. And I pray now, Lord, as we uh, sing together and uh, as the band play, that we would just spend a moment repenting saying sorry to you, Lord, for all the times and all the places where we have chosen to put other things in control instead of you, for all the times that we have decided to try to control things ourselves, to withdraw, to worry, rather than having total confidence in you. Thank you that you are all-powerful. Help us to have that confidence in you. Amen.